Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sony. And then your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, what we'll be doing here, we'll be talking about some news here up top, and then we'll be getting into some reviews later on the episode, and then we'll have a featured segment later on this week. Um, we're going to start with some unfortunate news here at the top, though. I think something that kind of took the movie world by storm this weekend, Sean Connery, the iconic Oscar-winning actor, um, I think best known probably for portraying James Bond, but had quite a prolific career, died this past weekend at the age of 90. He passed away. Um, you know, always sad news to hear of any anybody passing away, especially when it comes to these um, on-screen legends that we, you know, grew up with to whatever extent, to whatever degree it may be. Um, Sean Connery obviously had a massive impact on, on so many people's lives from his Bond work to Indiana Jones and whatnot. Um, so, you know, it, it's it goes without saying that, the, you know, his legacy will live on forever, but he will be dearly, dearly missed. Um, Sam, what's your sort of like familiarity with John Sean Connery's uh, filmography? Um, because I know he stopped, you know, he stopped consistently working in like the mid 2000s. So it's not like we really grew up with his movies, but we could have gone back and watched some of his stuff. Yeah, the most famous role being, you know, 007. And it's like the one that we've heard about for like the longest time. And like, there's a constant debate there who's the best 007, who's the best 007, and all that. And, you know, we would always hear Sean Connery or, you know, or Daniel Craig or Roger Moore, but whoever it is, Sean Connery was always in that conversation of one of the most iconic individuals to portray one of those iconic characters in cinema. And, you know, passing away at 90, it is sad, but at the very least, he did live a full life. Mm-hmm. He did achieve all the things he wanted to achieve. He was, you know, someone who's a well-respected and well-loved actor. And, you know, I've seen him in Indiana Jones. I've seen, um, which one was it? Golden Goldfinger? Sure, yeah. Goldfinger, yeah. but I haven't seen his other 007 work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, someone who has always made an impact on screen, you know, it's a sad loss for, you know, the movie industry and, you know, the world as a whole. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, obviously the Bond stuff. I haven't seen all of his Bond works, but I have seen a few of them. And, and yeah, Indiana Jones is one of the most... That was actually the first thing I saw him in um, because I went back sort of in time and watched the Bond stuff after I had seen him in Indiana Jones, but obviously playing uh, the father figure to Harrison Ford's character. Um, but a couple things that I wanted to recommend for people that aren't as familiar with his filmography, um, The Rock is one movie that's mm. legendary that I'm sure, like, you've heard so much about. It's a Michael Bay movie. It's, like, mm. it's the only Michael Bay movie that's on Criterion Collection, which is kind of... A crazy but it's just like an awesome sort of like action thriller sort of um it's just one of those kind of movies that you can sit down at any time um and watch it has Nicolas Cage along with Sean Connery and it's just so much fun and then the other being the one that he won the Oscar for the Untouchables which is this sort of like it's it's a gangster story it's like a crime thriller in a way um but that that's obviously you know that's the one that he won the oscar for that's i think next to bond maybe some would consider his most iconic performance because it's the one that he got the most critical recognition for so i would say that those are the two that um that that if you're looking for stuff to catch up on connery there's obviously the bond stuff out there but just a couple other titles that i think you know film fans might be aware of but not like the casual view. yeah i think i'm gonna need to do that because i'm pretty sparse for sean connery's work i think i'm gonna rewatch them because the untouchables it's been five to ten years since i've seen that one and the rock is even longer than that because that one came out like 95 or something they're both pretty old um but yeah you know obviously just wanted to pay homage to mr connery and he will be dearly missed um Let's go ahead and get into the news now, and let's start with some Marvel news here. Oscar Isaac has been tapped to lead the Moon Knight series for Marvel. Um, this is obviously the TV show that's coming to Disney+. Plus. Uh, I'm not that familiar with Moon Knight. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are that don't really read the comics. So just to give a little bit of background, he's been described, from what I could understand, as sort of like Marvel's response to Batman in a way. 
Um, but he differs from Batman in that he's like a mercenary who kind of takes on multiple different alter egos, which range from the millionaire playboy that we're used to seeing as Batman to like a taxi cab driver. Mm-hmm. So he kind of stretches these multiple alter egos to fight crime. Um, you know, this is an interesting sort of step for Oscar Isaac to be going into the superhero world. He's obviously in the Disney family with Star Wars and whatnot. Um, but this is not like a big time Marvel movie. It's a TV series. And the TV series are being led by smaller name stars like Tatiana Maslany and even like Elizabeth Olsen or even Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. Like those are not the big, big names I think that Oscar Isaac would be considered to be. Um, do you find it weird that a movie star the size of Oscar Isaac is going to TV as his first superhero role? I think it just show- goes to show how much confidence they have in the in the series, they wanted to really just put it all out there and just have somebody as big as Oscar Isaac take on the role. And, you know, they probably saw the potential of him portraying this individual. This, I think he's like a, I read it up. He's like a U.S. Marine who knows like Muay Thai, karate, kung fu. And he gets, he does have superpowers. So he's not like exactly like Batman. He does have like a powers from um the Egyptian moon god Khonshu. Yeah. I believe it was. Yeah, I read that too. So, yeah, I think they just, I think they just, they just have confidence in the, in the show. That's what they, brought somebody as huge as oscar isaac onto it do you remember like when they announced this in that big like marvel announcement when they announced all the disney plus series like this was the one that a lot of like the comic book readers were talking about that they were really excited about Mm -hmm. that nobody else like knew anything about what this character was or what this project was going to be do you you remember that sort of craze yeah yeah like that was like one of the smaller like under underrated or uh, was it called announcements in the film that day that that's what that's what's got me really excited about this and like you know oscar isaac is not the kind of person to just go and pick i, I know the only other superhero thing that he's attached himself to is apocalypse so this could also be like <laughs> him trying to wash that taste out of his mouth and go down sort of a different route but, i forgot um, about apocalypse i did too i did too and i was like doing <laughs> i was doing some research in preparation for this podcast and i was like oh my god he has done a superhero thing he did apocalypse um i i wouldn't say that was his fault though would you I don't know. I think it's just studio. I think it's just like studio was too ambitious with that story. And like, I, yeah, I think it was just hidden under all that makeup. Yeah, you can't even tell it's him. Like looking at the pictures, I'm like, I see zero Oscar Isaac in yeah. this character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this character sounds pretty cool. Like, do you like? I feel like you know the other sort of side that appealed Oscar Isaac to this project is the fact that you know the multiple egos. Like that's an acting sort of. It's an acting sort of masterclass if you nail it correctly. We obviously saw it with like Split and whatnot recently with James McAvoy. And like, even if the project isn't quite up to the tier that we might want it to be, like the acting challenge for Oscar Isaac seems like it's something that would appeal to like a big time, big name actor. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to see. I'm curious as to how they're going to exercise that and how, you know, is what's the setting for this um, series? Is it, is it in Egypt or is it like somewhere no, in America? No, I, I think it's in America, actually. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I just want to see what he does and who, how he does it. Is it going to be like, something as overt as like taking on the role like a method in a method aspect but he's just like wearing like a funny costume like a like a mission impossible yeah he's like i've seen like the drawings of the character from the comic books and he's wearing like this like all white sort of like tight suit right i don't know if you saw those pictures or not the ones for moon knight yeah that would be fun to see too just to see him in full costume is something to look forward to yeah i agree with that um it's cool it's cool to see him coming back to the sort of oh, big budget sphere real quick i just like you know i remember dming you this is the fact that Marvel's just trying to do their, their best just to keep you as a customer. I know, honestly. <laughs> and like Disney, I mean, Disney, but we're going to talk about Disney Plus here in a little bit. But like the Disney Plus catalog is, you know, it has the potential to be very exciting. But like obviously with COVID shutdowns to, to filming and whatnot, things have sort of been put on hold. Um, 
but this, yeah, this is enough to sort of keep me like, I would have subscribed to Disney plus either way. Cause I just love Disney and I, I, you know, I, I'm just saying Marvel in general. Yeah. Marvel, like Marvel is probably their, would you think Marvel is their biggest selling point for Disney at this point? Yes, I would. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And like, well, yeah, there's, no, there's no more star Wars. Like the biggest thing is like Mando and yeah. you know, the Obi-Wan series is going to come out hopefully next year. Who knows when I don't even know. <laughs> I think it might be pushed to 2022 cause shooting delays. Um, but yeah, I agree that Marvel is probably the biggest ticket for Disney at this point. And obviously this Disney Plus series or all these Disney Plus series are going to tie into the MCU. So that's how they're going to keep people sort of um, on board, like a, a mass sort of market appeal for mm. the Disney Plus pa- platform. Be like all these shows, you have to watch all these shows to be able to understand what's happening in the movie universe. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens with that. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm excited about that tie-in aspect of it, but uh, I, I'm on board for anything that... Oscar yeah, Isaac. would you want to see Oscar Isaac into one of like the DCEU movies? Like, would you think want his character to be transferred to the, uh, to the big for, screen for, for the MCU movies, like yeah. Avengers and yeah. stuff like that? No, I don't think so. I want it to be its own thing, and I know it's not going to be. It's going to tie in eventually. He's going well, to have to have some sort of introduction. Right. The reason I ask is because one of his biggest nemeses is Taskmaster, and Taskmaster is like the actual uh, antagonist for the Black Widow movie that never came out this year. Oh, is it really? Who's, yeah. Do we know who's playing Taskmaster? I have no idea. Is that no David Harbour? David Harbour is playing the Red Guardian. He's okay. part of um, Natasha Romanoff's team. Like I think like, he's like dad, her father or something. Her dad, maybe, yeah. Okay. I'm looking it up real quick. Yeah, I don't know I'm who curious. the Taskmaster is. Um, but yeah, I'll let you sort of look that up and I'll let you intro it before or after we get into the next topic. But I will read the headline for that one. And uh, Patrick Wilson, obviously the actor from Conjuring, Insidious, amongst other things, Aquaman, um, is making his directorial debut with the Insidious franchise is going to be directing Insidious 5. Um, this installment is going to be a little bit ahead in time from where we last saw this character. Um, Patrick Wilson has appeared in most of the Insidious movies, um, but last time we saw like his family at the core of the movies was Insidious 2, and this was still when his child was a, a young child, and now Ty Simpkins character is going to be going to college. That's really the only plot details we have on this one, but it does come from a story from Lee Winnell, um, who did sort of co-create this franchise as, lo- as well as like Saw and Invisible Man and Upgrade, which we've talked about with James Wan. Um, so he's written the story and Scott Teams is the official screenwriter on this. I think it's cool that Patrick Wilson is making his directorial debut with a franchise that he's most ingrained in, um, like between this and The Conjuring, those are the franchises that I think he's probably best known for. Um, I don't really know if it's going to be anything special. Like, you know, it's just more going to be, I think, an exercise in trying to learn how to direct because he's obviously got his sort of foot in the door with the Insidious franchise. He's close with James Wan and Lee Winnell. Um, mm. It's just going to be more for like a training, I think. And, and he's like he's like a stage actor and whatnot. So like, I imagine that this is just going to be like his sort of trial run at this thing before he expands it to other projects. And also seeing a trend too is the fact that people who are, or like the actors who are involved in these big projects are taking on the roles of directors. Like we saw like last week when we announced that Michael B. Jordan was taking on Creed. So it's a cool trend to see that, yeah. you know, they have this passion for the products they're a part of and just goes to show how much, you know, they care about it to the point where they just want to take it on with themselves and just, you know, exercise their own stories that they want to see within their own, you know, IPs. Yeah. But, you know, seeing that uh, Patrick Wilson, I think that's, it's very exciting. I'm very curious to see what kind of movie he makes because he hasn't, I don't know if, was he in like the last two, three Insidious he, movies? He's he's had small roles in like the spinoff movie, like three and four, but mm-hmm. he was not a prominent character. Like he just showed up in like a scene or two. Right, and I don't know. I'm curious because his character doesn't die, right? Does he die? No, I don't think. The second movie because he doesn't get possessed by that one 
mm-hmm. um, that one bride. Yeah, uh, whatever it is. He, I don't think he dies. No. Okay, no, because I'm because I'm just curious. He's gonna be directing himself, right? I'm yes. guessing. At yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm just really curious to see what kind of movie he makes, and just you know, we talked about how Michael B. Jordan could be bouncing off his ideas of like people like Dustin Daniel Crichton mm-hmm. and um, Ryan Coogler. He can be bouncing his ideas off James Wan to see how this one turns out. Yeah, and that's even more helpful because it is in the horror genre. So somebody that he's worked with on like Aquaman and The Conjuring with James Wan and Insidious actually with James Wan, like mm-hmm. he's sort of bringing those horror sensibilities. I also like what you said about like these actors going to direct the franchise that that they're well ingrained in because like it also. They all, they obviously have a clear understanding of this franchise because they've right. appeared in so many m- movies and their characters are the lead of this entire thing, this entire vehicle. So like they have a very, very deep understanding of where this franchise is coming from and where it should be headed. So in that in that respect, I also agree with you. Um, but yeah, this is pretty cool. I, I'm excited to see. I don't really know. Let, let me ask you, you saw the other Insidious movies. Where do you think this is going to go? In regards to the Insidious universe. So it, uh, I don't know if you heard the or read the plot line, but like we don't really know a lot about it. But are you asking about like the lore or like just the general plot line? Because we know that it's taking place when his son is going to college. Okay, so just your personal because you didn't watch the movies. Yeah. Uh, so like the three and four are prequels. They're not sequels. So okay. like they tie okay. they tie in because of the sort of like the I always forget what is it called like the other world or whatever it's called. Um, their version of the upside down, I guess. Um. Oh, right, I don't right. like it ties in through that and the Lin Shay character who appears in all the movies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in terms of lore, I, I actually liked the insidious when we talked about this a few weeks ago, when you reviewed it, um, I like the insidious movies better when they're sort of haunted house thrillers and not like supernatural um, other world uh, adventure stories. I, right. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the fact that, you know, the reason I didn't watch the other ones is because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Like the first two or three of them were like the one, the haunted house focused movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they work best. And I'm hoping, you know, I don't know, Haunted College, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> haunted College. Haunted College. I mean, like, Haunted College, like, co- college is obviously, like, a breeding ground for horror, like, with slashers and stuff. You have, like, your sorority row and all that kind of stuff. But, like, horror, I mean, like, yeah, Happy Death Day as well. I guess it's more in the slasher sphere, but, like, mm-hmm. college horror or, like, boarding school horror does turn out really good, usually, because it's sort of that isolation and whatnot. I-, I like the sort of playing in that space. Yeah, same. I just to, I'm, just, I'm just really curious to see what he where he takes the the series because I haven't seen like the last two. Yeah, let's hope that maybe this is what's going to turn his fandom stardom around and actually make him <laughs> into a famous person. I highly doubt it. Okay. Yeah. And re- real real quick for the for the Black Widow movie, so mm-hmm. there is nobody attached to play Taskmaster. I think it's 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 a secret. Uh. But Tony Stark is rumored to be in the movie and Thaddeus Ross, who the character played by William Hurt who was the general in the okay. Incredible Hulk movies is going to be in the movie yeah. as well. He showed up in the Avengers movies as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess if it's secret casting like I don't know. Is there anybody that you want in that role? I don't know if you're even familiar with Taskmaster as a character. No idea. No. no. Okay, so I guess I'll just have to wait and see, but yeah, if that character does end up being good then i would love to see him cross over into the oscar isaac universe of yeah i'm just gonna call it the oscar isaac universe it's its its own separate (laughs) entity at this point um let's go ahead and get into the last news story then Um, midnight sky trailer this is the movie directed by george clooney starring george clooney as well as david oyelowo and felicity jones amongst a few other big names um a sort of space tale um i don't know if you've seen any of clooney's other directorial efforts have you no i don't think so so what are your thoughts then 
on Clooney as an actor because like it's been a while since we've seen him on screen. He's solid. I mean, I haven't been, I haven't sat down and watched a movie like, or where I sat, I said to myself like, wow, he's an incredible. Like he deserved, deserved that a listing, you know, okay. that status to him. Mm-hmm. But even though I'd be like, I've seen him in the Ocean movies. I've seen him in. Um, this and this was he, was he did he direct that one no he did not direct that one no. so he didn't direct that one um I, i'm blanking on any other movies i've seen i barely see him now so, you mentioned it. so i'll say there's a couple movies that i like I, i'm also sort of on the same page like i love Clooney. like he's obviously very charming and he's very good in like leading roles especially like in those ocean movies like you can't really cast better than that in the role that he's cast in um looking at his, what was that Michael Clayton, I forgot that, about that. That was, that was exactly what I was going to say. I would say Michael Clayton and Up in the Air. Those are the two movies that I think Clooney is spectacular in. Um, and this is, like, very different from most of the stuff that he's acted. I know, obviously, he had a small role in Gravity. But, like, this is very different from most of the stuff that he's acted in and pretty different from the stuff that he's directed. Like, Monuments Men and Ides of March are the couple things that he's directed that I've seen. Um, I didn't see Suburbicon. Um, but, like, most of the stuff that he does is smaller in scale. So, like... I, like and, and those things are, are well received but like from my memory I don't remember any of those movies being like big time Oscar contenders or anything and Netflix is obviously releasing this movie here in December like mm-hmm. do you think that the sort of space play is what's going to you know is it going to be more mass appeal or is it going to be sort of an Oscar play what, what are your sort of thoughts on where Netflix might be leading with this I, I have a couple of thoughts in regards to that because the production looks huge like it looks like they went all out and mm-hmm. made the, the CG budget as big as it could have been for this movie sure. um, I was real quick the Eyes of March is a solid movie too with uh, Ryan Gosling yeah I'm, but, I'm uh, just looking it up it was actually nominated for best adapted screenplay which I don't I didn't remember that but that was the only Oscar nominee but I'm thinking, hopefully, I'm thinking the reason that they put it at that slot, that the December slot, is because of the production. Because I don't know where else they can take these space stories. Like I was reading like the comments on the on the YouTube mm-hmm. trailer, sure. and it says that people are like, it'd be a plot twist if the girl in the trailer wasn't a figment of George Clooney's imagination. <laughs> she was like stuck that she was like actually that because people at this point already know where these space stories can go uh-huh. because we've seen them so many times. So I don't know how exactly they're gonna pan out the story mm-hmm. because I feel like we've seen so many iterations of like these like immense space like a uh, character centric stories at this point even last year with ad astra with brad pitt i don't know yeah. where else these stories can go right? it looks different like in terms of like scale and whatnot i guess it like looks closer to something like the martian i would say than something like a gravity um because those movies are obviously pretty different um it has a more serious tone so it doesn't have that sort of light tone that something like the martian does but it's obviously like you know a group of people who are trying to discover something they're like you know they're doing these excavations and whatnot whoever i'm i'm not i'm the least intelligent person when it comes to space like that stuff goes way over my head but like it seems like it's more in line with the scale of the Martian than something like, even like you just mentioned at Astra, I, I don't know. And like, it does feel like a character piece, I guess, because Clooney is obviously front and center of everything. I, I don't think we've ever seen Clooney like this, where he's like shaved his head and grown out the beard and whatnot. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll be more a character study than anything else. And I guess that's where space movies work best. Like I'm thinking of arrival. I'm thinking of, of moon moon i'm thinking of ad astra like you just mentioned i'm thinking of interstellar uh, interstellar yeah interstellar gravity like these are all more like character focused before they're space focused and that's i guess where i'm hoping this movie goes before it sort of takes like clooney and clooney's a smart guy like i don't expect him to just get caught up in the sort of space of it all but i'm hoping that this movie focuses more on that character aspect that this trailer seems to be driving home than the 
big, broad space adventure side of it. And I just realized both Jenner, uh, not Jenner, so Felicity Jones, <laughs> play, who plays Jenner, so, uh-huh. and David Yellow, who was in an inter- Interstellar and the Chlorophyll Paradox, already have experience mm. in space. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Do you think that they'll bring that experience to this project and do something special with it? I think maybe that's why they chose it, just because of the fact that they already have experience with it. They probably have an attachment to being in space, Let, mo- let's movie pause, space. <laughs> let's pause for a second and say, like, David Yellow, how is this guy not like a household name at this point? <laughs> Didn't we talk about this during our um, Black with Lives Selma. Matter episode? Yeah, yeah with Selma. Like, they, they got blackballed because they wore those um, Eric Garner shirts, I believe that's it was. That's right, yeah. Do you think that's so, affected its place in Hollywood? Like, uh, no, I think I think he distanced himself because of that mm. that reaction to what he was doing with uh, Ava DuVernay and, and the cast. You, so like he's been like pretty quiet since then. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah, like you said, like he had the small role in Interstellar, which came out the same year as Selma, right? Actually, both were twenty fourteen, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he's come in smaller things, but like yeah, even like Queen of Cotway, which I'm thinking of, that was a small, like it was a Disney project, but it was a small, like sort of live action Disney thing with Mira Nair directing. So that was not like by any means a big budget project. Um, that's interesting. I didn't even think about the fact that he could have distanced himself because of all of that. I, I wish and him and Felicity Jones both. Like I feel like. They sh- and Felicity Jones is a big name. She came in Star Wars. She left Hold Star on. Wars. He was in Star Wars. Was he was he? a voice. He was oh, a voice, was a actor, voice in actor in Star Wars and Star yes. Wars Rebels. Yeah. Yeah, but like that's not. I mean, that's not the same thing. But I'm saying like the, the biggest thing when he was a part of sure was probably that Star Wars and maybe Lady Miz, the TV miniseries that came out last that year. Was, that was the one with like Lily Collins and stuff like that in it. Oh yeah, with um, what's his name from The Wire? Uh, Michael K. Williams. No, 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 no. The white oh. guy. I don't know. I don't know. I, I never saw it. I, I just remember seeing the posters of okay, it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is probably his biggest thing since Selma. Okay. But he still hasn't had like a huge, you know, um, like top billing movies in Selma. And like, I imagine the like, main the, character. I mean, even this movie, it looks like it's focusing on Clooney. And if you have to right. sell somebody, it's probably Felicity Jones. So he's like still like third and maybe even fourth because Kyle Chandler's in this thing as well. Like, I don't know. Like, I just want him to get the recognition that he deserves. He should have won for Selma. He should have won. He wasn't even nominated. It's, it's yeah. a complete travesty. Um, and so I'm thinking he dissed himself because of that reason. I, I wouldn't be surprised by that, actually. That's a pretty interesting point. Um, any any closing thoughts on this trailer, though? Oh, yeah. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch the movie. I already have Netflix. So <laughs> yeah, we're already paying for it. So <laughs> Might as well dig into it. I think it's December 23rd or 26th around that time, right around Christmas time. So uh, right. keep an eye out for that. A few rapid fire things here. Uh, Adam Sandler and Chernobyl director Johan Rank are d- teaming up for a movie called Spaceman of Bohemia, another sort of astronaut <laughs> movie. Uh, Aquafina and Sandra Oh are teaming up for a Netflix comedy. And Tom Holland has confirmed that Spider-Man 3 is officially shooting. Um, anything here that you want to talk about? I'm just really glad that Adam Sandler is still going for that very serious. I guess he's trying to shoot for that Oscar. Yeah, it, I, it seems like it will. Well, obviously, a Chernobyl director on top of this, like it's not going to be a comedy. And I believe that this is not part of like his Happy Madison uh, Netflix deal. It's like a separate entity. Like he's obviously doing that movie with LeBron James right now, Hustle. The right. Yeah. Right. 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 Scout. So he's got his like Netflix serious stuff and his Netflix comedy stuff, and I think this falls more in the bucket of the serious stuff. So yeah, I'm really glad that he's going for that. You know, flexing that drama muscle that he showed us in Uncut Gems because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Uncut Gems. Do you think he got a taste of like award season? He's like, I kind of like that. Like, I want, I want to be back there. Yeah, maybe because he had a, literally he had a lot of fun over at the uh, Indie Spirit Awards. Indie Spirits, and he like he himself like you could tell he actually wanted that Oscar nomination. Like with, with you talk, you brought it up last week or a couple weeks ago, where you're talking about how he made that comment that if he didn't get nominated for the Oscar, he's gonna like a terrible movie or whatever. Yeah, on purpose. So, like, yeah, so like he he obviously <laughs> wants that kind of acclaim, and he deserves it too. So like he's he seems to be like maybe shifting his career in the direction to where like he could maybe be considered a more legitimate actor that he hasn't been 
received maybe, by Chris. Maybe he just like enjoys doing the dramas at this point because he does. He did have Punch Drunk Love, but between Punch Drunk Love and mm-hmm. Uncut Gems, I think it was like all comedies. Yeah, I don't remember a single serious movie in between those two. So I guess yeah, he's just trying to do it more and more because I guess he just likes it, I, or maybe oh. he just like. He, I don't had know. My, he had Meyerowitz stories, but that was like a dramedy. Oh, yeah. That was a dramedy, yeah. I guess, because yeah. that was a Noah Baumbach. So. Yeah, smaller Netflix movie. But yeah, I'm, I'm just really glad to see him, you know, attaching himself to somebody like Johan Rank for, what's it called? The Spaceman of Bohemia? Uh, where, where did it go? Spaceman of Bohemia, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to that one just because of Adam Sandler. Okay, cool. The one thing that I want to hone in on with uh, Spider-Man 3 confirming filming, does this feel like maybe film productions are, are starting to shift towards now we're going to get more announcements and things are going to pick up again after this whole like COVID thing. I know the the virus has not really slowed down at all, but like, does this give you a little bit more optimism as to like film staying alive in some capacity? Uh, it gives me optimism that we're going to get this movie at some point. Okay. <laughs> but I remember seeing that um, Jacob Batalone, who plays uh, Peter Parker's, what's his friend? I forget the character's name. Yeah, I don't remember his he, name either. But there was a headline this week like, saying that when he read the script, like his jaw like was on the floor like the entire time he was reading the script. So, so here's another here's another spinoff question of that. Like, do you think we get like a a screen screen cap or some sort of sighting of Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire in Atlanta? Because like that that would be the confirmation, right? Because like they haven't announced anything yet, and like there would be no other reason for Maguire or Garfield to be in Atlanta right now because most marvel projects shoot in atlanta but not a lot of other stuff is shooting in atlanta right now so like is that a, is is that something we're looking out for you think people are trying to get like cell phone footage of one of those guys showing that up? would surprise me only because of how secret marvel is like sure. they, let, they let nothing out for avengers endgame they let nothing out for infinity war mm-hmm. we don't know anything about black widow we don't know anything about like spider-man going forward other than the speculation at this point yeah so just seeing them in that capacity would surprise me just because of the fact about how like tight-lipped marvel is with their movies sure that's fair enough um yeah that's all i really want to touch on there so let's go ahead and get into reviews now sam what'd you watch this week well, I got a chance to rewatch Over the Garden while I talked about as a recommendation during uh, our recommendation episode, like October 1st or whatever it was when we recorded that episode. Yeah. Um, you know, I still think it's a great TV series. It's only 10 episodes, 10 episodes long, 12 minutes each. So it's like essentially like a five episode watch or like a movie, essentially. Um, there's a couple episodes I remember like not liking consistently. It's like the one with um, about like these animals that go to a school and about this, this, like, this rich guy who has a ghost in his house. But other than that, you know, it's a fun series. And it's it feels very mature for what it is for what it's portraying because like, it's like a metaphor for like death and like purgatory essentially no no spoilers but the way that you know the kids Greg and Wirt interact with like, the space around them and how like they're kind of kind of scared or they're just like very they're just trying to find a way back home and they meet these these talking animals and like these ghosts and these spirits and, you know it's, it's a great way to you know show that they can you know portray like these very heavy set tones in a kids in a kids tv show mm-hmm. and you know the, the theme song is great the score is great the art for the show is great you know i'm just glad i got a chance to re- I, I rewatch the show every every year since it came out in 2014 2014 i believe it was so you know it's a constant enjoyment for me every year um and actually i got a chance to watch both the texas chainsaw 74 movie the original one and the 03 that raj recommended to me like i was just trying to contrast this experience between this one in the our past episode with the Halloween. Another good Michael Bay movie. Which one? The the Texas Chainsaw, the two thousand three one. Oh three was says it was directed by a guy named Niles Hapless. Uh, maybe he was just a producer on it then. Yeah, it was just the one. With, it's the one with Jessica Biel. If you've seen that one, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed actually. I think I liked the original Texas Chainsaw more than the original Halloween, just because of the oh, fact wow. that they're both shoestring budgets. But you know, 
if I'm comparing like the aspects I didn't like about Halloween or the like, aspects I liked about Texas Chainsaw is like the setting like in Halloween is like you know it's like you know American suburbia in the 70s whereas Texas Chainsaw is like this arid dry musty Texas you know heat infested plain in the middle of nowhere you know it, it has that you know it, it, it adds the atmosphere essentially so I think that's what one of the reasons I liked it and also because the acting was better in this movie and I think um is his name is it Toby or Tobe Tobe Hooper, the director and producer Toby, for this movie. Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. You know, he did a, he does a great job in, you know, making this family of like cannibal lunatics as, you know, as deranged as possible. And I was reading that the reason that like the people in this shooting, like why it felt like so irritable and why it felt so hot is because they were actually experiencing these things. Like they were spending hours under, under the Texas sun mm-hmm. and, during these shoots and they were like sweating and they were like parched. They were like hysterical. So that added to their performances in the atmosphere of the movie. That's what I really enjoyed. And, you know, this being a shoestring budget and like the way this movie opens is like, this like these cadavers being dug up and like the way that they um did the makeup for these cadavers. It was like really cool. It was, mm-hmm. it was one smaller thing, but, you know, it's really enjoyable. I mean, it's still a slasher movie. So I couldn't, I wouldn't say like anything about it was exceptional, just a solid, you know, fun watch. And with the O3 version, I would say it's okay. It's fine. It feels like a derivative of like early 2000s horror because it's like an attractive group of like these white 20 somethings <laughs> who are stuck in the middle of nowhere who get chased down by like this fucking maniac with a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the sequences where they actually interact with leather faces are, are really cool. Because, you know, I think the um, the masks for this one, I think, was much scarier than the original. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love seeing uh, Arlie or Ermy R.I.P. him. They just yell at these kids because it's fucking hilarious <laughs> watching him yell at anybody. Yeah. He's like a drill sergeant. So he like it's like something that's ingrained into him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, solid watch. You know, I think the fact that they chose to shoot most of the, the bigger sequences at night kind of makes it, you know, more horror centric because like most of the stuff in the original texas chainsaw was shot in the daytime mm-hmm. but you know both solid watches i really enjoyed these two movies okay cool um that was better than i was expecting you to say about the, both of those movies so i'm pretty happy to hear that um I, I like both of these movies i actually think i prefer it's tough to say i, I think i prefer the 03 one to the old one just because it is a bit more modernized and but i think the 03 or sorry the 9, uh, 74 one is actually really good but um it has been a while i think i saw it actually as a 74 on Metacritic. Which is pretty good. Um, I think the only time I saw it was like in my horror film class in college. So oh, wow. I got like back in 2014, maybe. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a long time. Um, that was the first time I saw it. That was the only time I saw it. But I, I guess I need to revisit both of these because I do want to discuss them further with you. Sure. Um, I saw a few things this week. Uh, Snow White. I went back and watched Snow White. I'm, I'm starting to speaking of like disney plus because you know i can dig into that catalog at any time like i was itching to watch rewatch some pixar movies and whatnot and i was like i'm just gonna go back to the beginning of disney animation um sam's talked about his well we, we both talked about our love of animation on on our animation specific episode and we both approach it from very different perspectives um in terms of the type of animation that we were raised on and whatnot and i was you know i was a hardcore disney kid i still am a hardcore disney kid at heart um but like i it's been so long since i had revisited these classics that i literally grew up with like I could, before I could even read, I could like tell you which VHS was which classic Disney movie just by looking at it. Like when I was two <laughs> years old, like that's how obsessed with these things I was. Right. Um, but it had been, you know, God, 15 to 20 years since I had revisited some of these movies. So I, I just went back to the beginning of Disney animation, started with the original Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the first movie that they made. And I'm starting to work my way forward. Um, it, about one a week probably is what I'm going to do. Um, and, and it was just great to revisit this movie. It's obviously, you know, incredible classic. Um, 
there's nothing really new I could say about this thing, but uh, it holds up. Like it holds up. The animation is beautiful. The hand-drawn 2D animation, like you just can't beat it. Um, and it just, you know, to look back and if you don't know about the production of this thing, there's so many incredible like sort of behind the scenes about how they did the hand-drawn animation of this thing that I highly implore you. You can find these videos on YouTube and whatnot. Yeah. Um, they're just so, so incredible. And it's so cool to watch those things. And, and I revisited some of those behind the scenes videos after watching the movie. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'll be talking about more of these. I'll be talking about like Pinocchio and Bambi and Dumbo in the coming weeks. So uh, just keep an eye out for those. Yeah, real quick, this movie came out in 1937. And the yeah. fact that the animation looks as good as it does just blows my mind every time I think about this movie. It's crazy. I mean, so much of this early Disney animation that came out from 37 to about 50, 50, right around 50 when we're se- 17 years removed from his 100th 100th year anniversary which is insane like to be able to <laughs> celebrate this movie on that level when that time does come around um i cannot wait for that i hope disney does like a crazy big celebration i imagine they will mm-hmm. um I-, I really can't wait because this movie is it's as good as the day it came out like there's no doubt about it um throne of blood akira kurosawa's throne of blood another toshiro mifune team up um i didn't love this one as much as i've loved things like high and low and seven samurai or even um yojimbo which i've talked about on this podcast but it's still very good like it's it's classic kurosawa um you know i give it like a four out of five um whereas like a lot of the other ones are five out of fives because he's just such a genius um but i I did really like this one i watched it on criterion i think it's also streaming on hbo max um it's got a little bit more like sort of fantasy side to it um it's Mm. not the sort of core action that you're used to seeing and and or at least in the stuff that i've talked about the curse i will have is sort of like fantasies and sci- not not sci-fi but like he's got like a bit like mythology and lore to some mm. of his other movies that we haven't talked about yet on this podcast that this movie employs a little bit more of that um but it's still great like throne of blood is still great so um i'll say that much uh memories of murder bong joon ho's movie from 2003 finally came on demand for the first time ever can you believe that this is the first time ever that this movie was on demand really um, yeah it was i think it was on hulu or netflix for a short period of time but it had never been available to rent oh, um, wow. and when neon bought parasite they bought this movie as well um and this movie i mean it's it's almost as good as parasite like it's incredible this wow. movie is so good and like i'm sure you remember that like when parasite was coming out people were like saying go watch memories of murder go watch memories of right, murder right. that was like one of the ones that people were saying like bong that's when people found bong and this was back in 2003 it's so good and it, you know i've talked about bong plenty on this podcast so i don't need to spend too much time on it but like it, he's just so good at taking you in all these different directions and keeping you guessing and not really giving away anything about the project and what the story is going to be. And like, he takes all these twists and turns and you're kind of, and it's like the ending, like the ending is just so raw and real and kind of terrifying um, and, and the most brilliant and subtle way. And it's, this movie is just so good and it's available for rent now for like four bucks or something. So and I, and his freaking collaborator is Sun King Ho. He's in this movie, right? Yeah, this was their first collaboration. First oh, wow. of four, I think. Is I know Host, he's in, and what's the other one? Um, I don't know. I'm blanking on the other one. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this was the first of their collaboration. Song Kang Ho is one of the leads. There's like two leads in this movie. Um, you know, he's it's just classic. It's classic. It, 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 I, I think you'd really enjoy it, Sam. Yeah, I mean, I got to catch up on my uh, Bong Joon-ho because I've only seen Okja and Parasite. Yeah, this is this is like filling out the little bit. So now the only thing I think I, of his that I haven't seen is Barking Dog Never Bite um, and maybe one other Korean language movie. So I'm Mother? 
I've seen Mother. I talked about okay. it a few weeks ago. I remember. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, so like I'm I'm becoming a Bong Joon Ho completionist, so <laughs> I, I'm happy about that. Um, and then before we get into our overlapping review, I'll just quickly mention His House on Netflix this is a horror movie directed by Remy Weeks. Uh, premiered at Sundance this year. It's about this family that. Uh, immigrates to England. They're refugees, I believe, um, from South Sudan. They escape South Sudan. Um, they become refugees. They're put in this house um, and they have this sort of dark, deep backstory about how they lost their daughter um, in the sort of, in, in coming from Sudan to, to England. Um, and they get to this house and the house has something deep and disturbing and creepy going on there. And they have to grapple with the loss of their daughter and being in this new and unfamiliar place. And, and this movie is really, really good. Um, it's really solid horror. It hit Netflix right at the right time, right before Halloween. Um, it just takes, it, it, do, it does stuff and it, you know, caught me off guard a little bit in terms of like, I usually find horror very, very predictable. Even movies that I like, this movie had some twists and turns that I didn't see coming and I have to commend it for that alone. But like the filmmaking is really great. It's a directorial debut as well. Um, it has the actor, uh, Shope Dorisu, who is in Gangs of London, who I raved about a few weeks ago, um, mm. the sort of co-lead to Joe Cole's character in, in that show. Right. Um, so like this guy, you know, he's he's sort of climbing to the top of my one of my favorite actors working today list because like he's just done two things that I love him in. He's just spectacular. So I highly recommend checking out this one, his house on Netflix, like a haunted house sort of. Yeah, solid. Um, but let's go ahead and get into our review now, overlapping review, Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, we're going to start with some non-spoiler thoughts. We'll get into spoilers. We'll put the time code in the episode description, but we'll also be sure to tell you guys before we start actually talking about the spoilers here so you can tune out if you haven't seen the episode yet. Um, but yeah, we're returning to Star Wars. It's been a year since we've seen anything Star Wars. Rise of Skywalker was the last thing that we got. I guess maybe Mandalorian season finale was like a week or two after that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's been almost a full year. Um, what do you think about this return to the Mandalorian world? Yeah, so we talked about the fact that the, that the, you know, the reason I wasn't so optimistic about season two is because of the fact that they filmed like very close together season one and season two and i talked about how like the reasons i didn't like season one as much as i should have or i wanted to at least is because you know these side stories that mando takes just don't do it for me at all like they just feel like very tedious they feel like they could be i don't know like extras in a dvd collection or a blu-ray collection so you know that's something i didn't like about this episode but you know it's solid set pieces and like the way that it started you know it's 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 it, it, it continues that same narrative that we saw in season one with you know baby yoda and mando they're just looking for a way to continue or try to find refuge for this little child yeah and but i guess the one the like one plot related thing that we can say before we get into spoilers is because it was in the trailers and whatnot is like the sort of overarching narrative of this season seems like it's going to be that mando the main character has to get baby yoda to the other jedi and he's searching for un other mandalorians to help him get there right so this uh, this entire episode is like just focused around him just trying to look for another mandalorian and you know we get that sense of the fact that you know he's back in, back in the underworld he's by himself with his child he doesn't really have the support he had in the first season um but you know i you know after that i mean he goes to he goes to um Tatooine, you know, a, mm -hmm. a planet that all of Star Wars fans are acclimated to at this point. And, you know, it's fun to see revisit these places and, you know, further expand on the mythos and like the 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 locations that these people can go to within these same places that we already know about. Mm -hmm. But other than that, the story that evolves from when he gets to Tatooine is something, you know, it's fine. It's, it's okay. I just really wish they would stick to a narrative mm -hmm. because like these side stories just really don't do it for me. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And I was kind of shocked because like before when this when this episode aired, 
like I didn't get to watch until like Friday night because I was working all day Friday. Right. And like I was like on Twitter scrolling and people were like, this is the best episode of the series yet. And I was like, okay, like something big has got to happen in this episode. Yeah. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? It's another one of those one-off episodes where it's just like an adventure story like that happens and it closes the door. Um, as similar to episode one, which you just mentioned, Sam, we were not fans of. And it just does that same sort of, it follows a pretty similar formula. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't get why people are going crazy about this thing. Um, it's just the production value of it because of the, are we going to get to the spoilers now before I say the, no, let's, let's okay. wait, let's wait a little bit on spoilers. Um, but like, I will say that I liked it a little bit more than the one-offs. Actually, every single one of the one-offs in episode one, I liked this one more. I think part of it actually has to do with the fact that there was an hour long and it gave a little bit more time to flesh out the story. So I cared a little bit more about what was going on as opposed to being confined to 30 minutes. Like most of season one was between 30 and 40 minute episodes. This was almost a full hour long. Right. And you would think that would actually like deter me because it's a longer one-off but i actually enjoyed it a little bit more because i invested more i will also say that like there is a little bit of a hook that we will talk about in the spoilers that ties this into the broader narrative which i am okay with um and in that sense i was like a little bit more optimistic about the way that this episode played out that being Mm -hmm. said it is still a very sort of confined storyline in terms of the actual adventure that mando goes on Mm -hmm. um i think the visual effects are really great the sort of combination of cg and practical looks really good and some of the visual effects in the ending sequence um really 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 great um so i'll give it credit for that like on tv you don't get stuff that often looks that good um it has the sort of feel of star wars it looks it looks like star wars it feels like star wars you get a sense that these people that are making this this is directed by john favreau who's the showrunner they understand star wars um you get a little fun baby yoda sequence um you get a yeah you get a you get a few of those um it has a very western feel to it which is fun yeah um, yeah more so than even the first season did and a lot of people are comparing the first season to a western um this so i like that aspect of it there's a lot good in this episode i just wish it had tied a little bit more into the overarching story Um, i remember hearing that people wanted to have that one specific a character, like the one that gets like the second billing up behind mm-hmm. Pedro Pascal mm-hmm. to get like his own spin-off. I was like, guys, you guys got to calm down. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I, I think people like anytime – and like I feel bad saying this because I love everything Star Wars and I want to support everything Star Wars, especially like on Disney+. Plus. Like that's the stuff that like I should be going crazy about and I want to be going crazy about. And, right. And, and I still like am enjoying it. Like don't get me wrong. I – had a lot of fun with this episode it's just like after the fact i was a little bit disappointed by it mm-hmm. um do you have any sort of final non-spoiler thoughts or should we go ahead and get into spoilers now i just you know i i can't really say it. this does this doesn't make me feel as positive as i feel like <laughs> because of just they're going for the same formulas that did season one mm-hmm. but i think the fact that this one is kind of solid it's better than the other ones i agree with you it's better than the others just because of the production value and mm-hmm. you know like the way that the look and feel of it is mm-hmm. is good but i just want to just to stick to a narrative i do too and i'm hoping that the next episode does that because if we get two episodes in a row where we're not in a narrative i, I will be yeah it was back and forth except for like the last three episodes i think for season one yeah the last three sort of hooked into the final um like the overarching story and that's when it got really good right um and then it sort of the pace slowed down here again because episode eight of of season one was really great um and i was hoping that this one because it's the first episode like you would imagine that it would kick off with a bang and i don't think it quite kicked off with a bang um but let's get into spoilers now um so we'll like i said we'll put this time code in the description but this is you know this is your warning that if you haven't seen the episode tune out and come back after you've seen it um i will say so like 
the hook that I'm talking about that is the sort of overarching <clears throat> narrative that ties in overall that I did appreciate is the fact that obviously Cobb Vanth, who is Timothy Oliphant's character, um, Cobb Vanth, if you don't know who he is, like you shouldn't really know who he is. He's appeared in some of the books. Um, so like he's appeared in Star Wars in the past. He's a character that we as Star Wars fans are familiar with, but most people will not be familiar with Cobb Vanth. Uh, but he is a fan, he is a name that is known to Star Wars fans. Um, so Cobb Vanth is obviously wearing the Boba Fett armor and the whole driving narrative behind this thing is... Oh, right. Oh, did you not know that? No, I thought it was just a random Ma- Mando armor. No, he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. Um, okay. So the whole entire thing is that Mando is trying to get this armor. And Ma- Mando doesn't know that it's Boba Fett. I don't think anybody outside the Empire phase knows who Boba Fett is. It's just we know it's Boba Fett's armor because... And we Boba Fett wasn't a he wasn't a Mandalorian. He was just like someone like same as Timothy Oliphant's character. We just used the armor. Yeah, he's not a Mandalorian. He's somebody who wears Mandalorian armor and does Mandalorian things like a bounty hunter type lifestyle. Right. Um, right. But he's yeah, he's not actually a Mandalorian as a race the same way that our lead character in this show is. Um. So that's very important to note. Um. And they might. I don't know if they'll really change that because I haven't dived too deep into like how prominent Boba Fett's backstory has been fleshed out in the sort of Star Wars narrative mm-hmm. but that's my understanding of the character and they could sort of pivot with that because obviously you know we get the tease at the end with tamara morrison showing up and sort of watching over um seeing you know that that's that's boba fett that's boba fett um we're at least we're led to believe unless it's going to be one of those million clones that could still be out there somewhere in the universe um but but to get back to my first thought like i like the fact that the driving narrative of this thing is this boba fett armor that's driving him and you know that now that they've teased tamara morrison at the end of this episode you know that boba fett is going to be a sort of antagonist character that's going to be presenting challenges for mando because he has his armor now um so i like that that's going to carry out through the rest of the season Um, But I I just still didn't love the fact that it's like we have to save this little town from this giant dragon. Yeah, I mean, it it, it shifts between three different plot lines. It goes, hey, we got to find this man so I can get, you know, support to find this kid's, you know, whatever, his new new home planet. Mm -hmm. And it shifts to this this uh, Mando I thought was a Mando was like just actually just a guy with the armor and then it shifts to I need to get this armor from this guy then it shifts to oh, I gotta save this town and you know it's just like it's constantly shifting its own plot within the same story I think that's why I didn't like it as much yeah but I oh yeah and I just want to say real quick this something small but funny is like the uh the bark he looks like Jeeper, the Jeepers Creepers monster yeah a little <laughs> <laughs> that's like something I picked up on but I don't know I mean yeah it's it, I don't know it's just I don't know what what's the plan is i don't know what they're trying to do with these small side stories i think it's just like maybe kind of almost fan service just because the, there's nothing else out there for star wars mm-hmm. but um you know the sequences with the with the crate dragon were really good because like you know you yeah. mentioned the fact that the cg for these these characters and these sequences are like top tier like they feel like they would come out of a star wars movie yeah and we saw a lot of these like um like they hinted that they're gonna go like you know high octane you know energy because of how the trailer was mm-hmm. and the Going dumb, going off with how well they produce is they just dumb, dumb letting us know that you know you're gonna get like a lot of production value within this season as well as you, as you did with season one. Yeah, that that last action sequence looks really, really good, and I have to give them credit for that because like you know you think of like some of the big sort of action set pieces that we've seen on TV recently, like Game of Thrones, like with the dragon sequences and whatnot. Right, right. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's not 
that far off from how good some of those dragon sequences looked. Yeah, I was gonna say the exact same thing. I think like we always thought, we always heard about like these headlines, like you know, the new Game of Thrones season is gonna cost like five hundred million dollars or whatever the fuck it is, mm-hmm. because like how much money they're spending on CGI for the dragons. Yeah. And this crate dragon within the first episode feels like you know they put the money and the time into it to create this creature. I think that's why I appreciated that aspect of it because they sure. wanted to show that you know we care about like the production value of this, of this TV show. I just, you know, I'm going to continue saying this. I just, I just don't care about the side stories. Yeah. And you know, what I'll say about that is like, I hope that they sort of get my hopes back up a little bit by weaving this into the narrative later. And like, I, I the character that you were talking about in the non-spoiler was Cobb Vanth, I'm assuming, right. When you said like a spinoff series about him. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, upon, yeah. so like, I would love to see Cobb Vanth show back up in Mandalorian. Like I want him to come back and sort of go on adventures with our lead character, but yeah, I don't need an s- entire spinoff series of him, but I want <laughs> (laughs) want to see him woven back into the plot later on especially like if like boba fett uh does become a sort of like main antagonist and he's like where did you get this armor i've been trying to find this armor like and mando goes like i found it from this the the marshal then this small town outside of uh, tatooine uh like what was it called moss 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 pelga moss pelga moss pelga thank you yeah Yeah. so like what were you gonna say i was gonna say real quick didn't boba die because of the um in in uh, return of the jedi he, got, he was so he the was the Sarlacc pit. He was thrown into the Sarlacc pit, but like there's been this whole like fan speculation that Boba Fett is not actually dead. Um, and I again like I, I'm not too familiar with his sort of backstory and the way that's fleshed out in canon material. So like I don't know to what extent we were actually got confirmation that he was alive, but he is alive. That is Tamara Mor- Morrison who played Jango Fett in Episode Two. Um, so he is playing boba fett here we assume again unless they sort of and here's the thing if they go down the route because obviously jango fett boba fett whatever you want to go down that route like there are many clones of of that character because they are you know they were the clones in the clone wars um if they sort of go down the route of that being one of the clones instead of boba fett i feel like this entire lead up is like blue balling us to that and that would make me even more frustrated yeah yeah i agree with you i would have preferred it to be the actual boba fett it has to be the actual boba fett character so like i'll ask you then like do you like the boba fett character being one of the main antagonists for the series moving forward i think it makes a lot of sense because when we talked about the star wars series like last year when we were doing like the uh when we're reviewing all the episodes we talked about the fact that boba fett's such a huge figure within the original trilogy but he doesn't get a lot of screen time he's not somebody that's a, a constant presence within like with luke and leia and han he has like 10 minutes of screen time in the entire original trilogy. yeah so I think, the, I think the fact that they're just trying to capitalize on his popularity and give him like the actual screen time mm-hmm. justify his um his pop culture presence yeah and like it's also kind of funny because like when you put the boba fett arm- armor on somebody else it doesn't look quite as cool as boba fett looked in the original star wars movies like timothy oliphant is obviously like too big for the armor and one like yeah, too tall yeah for the armor. it looks like it and it looks really like awkward and whatnot but like you know if we see tamara morrison's character um come back into the fold and eventually like sort of pose a threat to mando at first and sort of get in his way to whatever his ultimate goal is going to be and then eventually team up with him to help find the jedi um, that I think is going to be very interesting, but I think there are other Mandalorians sort of in the Star Wars lore that we will probably be meeting later on in this series that'll get us closer to our ultimate goal more than Boba Fett does. So, like, does does this now become a story of like some Mandalorians are trying to help our main character and some Mandalorians are trying to oppose our main character? Because like we have we have characters like Sabine who can sort of lead us to Ahsoka, who is the Jedi that mando is actually looking for and i assume those are the sort of connective dots that john favreau and david filoni are trying to weave in this story mm-hmm. but like 
you know, for someone like yourself who maybe uh, you've probably heard some of those names, but you're not maybe as aware of like the sort of backstory and the lineage and how all these characters connect together mm-hmm. in the sort of Star Wars canon. Like, does that sound like interesting to you at all? I would say real quick, I would say the fact that Ahsoka Tano is coming back as a, as a, as a live action character mm-hmm. makes um, justification to say that this Tamara Morrison's character is Boba Fett. Okay. Because like, why would you want to put um, like a main lead from one of the TV shows mm-hmm. and pair him off with like like a nothing clone. A clone, yeah. And and Ahsoka interacts with the clones in like the Clone Wars series and stuff like that. Right. So like there's interactions there, but like, you know, how familiar is she actually with the original Boba Fett? I would mm-hmm. assume none at all, right? Because there was like, um, they were trying to push that in there. Or the, obviously there's, there's like this fan service thing like at the, uh, on episode two where like after um, Tamara Morrison's original being dies mm-hmm. during that like that, that arena battle yeah. um his his clone child holds up his helmet and like puts his helmet to his forehead mm-hmm. and that's our, our indication that he is boba fett yeah but past that we don't get much um development within that character right so i think it just continually makes more sense for him to be the actual boba fett character yeah i think so and like so like does is that like is him being an actual villain though like getting in the way like what i was saying earlier like some mandos are opposing our main character and some are trying to help him out like does that sound like a good sort of route for the series to go down because i'll I'll say yes because like if this show is called the mandalorian and it focuses on the mandalorian race and we're supposed to be diving deeper into like what that means um if we have like an antagonist who is like kind of quote-unquote posing as a mandalorian or is just invested in the armor and the bounty that comes with being a mandalorian um and then like the actual mandalorians are trying to help our main character achieve their goal because quote-unquote this is the way like that's what they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. i kind of like that that's the route that they're going and i just hope they weave it deeper into the narrative as opposed to having more one-off adventures yeah i'm also curious as to how they're going to weave these two main villains i guess if we're speculating that boba is a villain in this in this story yeah because we do have boba then we also do have giancarlo esposito's character. right yeah i completely so we, forgot about that <laughs> we got it because he has like that one black saber sword he is the dart dart saber yeah yeah whatever it's called and yeah so I wouldn't want him to be like a, a constant presence because I feel like we get if we get him in doses, he'll feel much more impactful, mm-hmm. and we can use like um, Boba Fett to be like the antagonist, is just like like a huge hindrance to uh, Jinjar in, in this in this uh, season. Do you think that that might get a little bit sort of um, like congested in terms of the storytelling, like pose like putting two villains in this series, which is I assume going to still be like eight episodes long again? Mm, it could it's it's there's a possibility because you know we have boba we have ahsoka then we have giancarlo esposito's character mm-hmm. so there's the possibility of them you know being feeling congested but you know i think you know we're gonna get like those breathers because of these side stories sure um but like those side stories also congest the story even more because then you have to pack <laughs> the main narrative into like what four episodes as opposed to eight yeah. I, I guess what i'll yeah, say is true. like for people that again like aren't as familiar with the sort of backstory and the canon of star wars like the dark saber the one that giancarlo esposito has um that is actually sabine the character that i just mentioned her lightsaber or like the saber that she uses oh. so like there could be the connective tissue there that like draws one character to another to another and I, like i am not it's like converging lines yeah and I, I, like she Sabine is a Mandalorian and like again like I haven't seen Rebels or Clone Wars to the full degree I've seen episodes and bits and I've read about them so this is sort of my limited knowledge there are people out there that know this far deeper and far more explained than I do but Sabine is a Mandalorian she is a previous user of the Darksaber so like does Giancarlo Esposito do you remember what his character's name is 
He's a Moff. Moff Gideon, right? He's Moff, Moff Gideon. Gideon. There yes. you go. Okay, yeah. so Moff Gideon has. My assumption is maybe Moff Gideon has Sabine captured somewhere. So our main character, and I always forget his name. Wait, hold on, hold on. Did it, are we supposed to assume Sabine was that one dark hooded figure in the trailer that was like at the port town? I thought that was Ahsoka, but they didn't really confirm either way. Okay, well, go on. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just gonna say that like Sabine knows Ahsoka. Um, but Ahsoka is quote unquote missing, I guess, to this point, because obviously the Jedi have been wiped out to a certain degree. They're hidden somewhere, whatever, whatever they're doing. They're not out in the open. Sabine probably knows where Ahsoka is. So does Mando go now to Moff Gideon, see that he's captured Sabine in some way, get Sabine out. Sabine leads him to Ahsoka and Ahsoka is the Jedi that he needs to get young young or oh god baby yoda too like that that seems like a connective narrative that makes sense to me how does boba fett play into that right is it just somebody who's just there to pose a presence or does that's, he a, have, that's my original theory does he have like a greater sort of narrative importance to it well there's no way to say until we watch the other episodes but real quick yeah. i just want to say <laughs> there's that possibility of seeing a, a lightsaber fight in this season because we Which have I'm ahsoka and moff gideon you know with her two i hope so saber tools i hope so i love star wars i want them to expand the lore but for it to be truly star wars for me you need a lightsaber in there so yeah i was gonna say it doesn't feel like star wars without the jedi yeah and um and the sith you just need lightsaber battles like it just even the star wars like the canon movies that like if it's just like lasers and aliens it feels like any other sci-fi any other sci-fi and again like i love them expanding the story but i i i myself need that anchor of the jedi in the story like they're they are the prominent sort of race religion whatever you want to call it in this universe yeah wizards (laughs) in this universe they're the driving force um i need it i want it and uh i didn't love this episode but i'm still excited for the potential to where the season can go yeah Um, i'm with you there okay cool um but that'll bring us to a close for this episode thanks everybody for listening um like i said we'll be back later in the week with a featured segment i think we're going to be shifting back towards our oscar or oscar adjacent conversation so come back and join us then um be sure also to check out our show notes on resources on black lives matter places that you can donate and movies that you can watch sam let people know where they can find you online you can find me on my twitter at sam zero so and on my instagram at sam osorio o-s-o-r-i-o find me at rod 236 as always please be sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast share it with your friends and family you can find us on apple spotify anchor and all the popular platforms and we'll be back later in the week with our